The ever-changing economy had a major impact on how consumers shopped in 2023. A range of issues from higher prices, a reduction in SNAP benefits, and student loan repayments led many consumers to rethink their normal shopping habits. Welcome to StoreBrands Spotlight. I'm Greg Sleeter, Executive Editor of StoreBrands. Our guest today is Barbara Connors, Vice President of Strategy and Acceleration at 8451. Barbara will offer a review of the past year, how consumers adapted to their financial challenges, and what we could see next over the coming 12 months. Barbara, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks so much for having me. It's our pleasure. Uh, we got through another year, which uh, as much as a year can be unpredictable, I think 2023 was with predictions of recessions and consumer spending slowing down and shoppers seem to do the opposite and navigate uh, a very challenging economy and, and kept on buying what they needed. So um, it's a, it was a fascinating year and, and here we are uh, into 2024 already. So Barbara, when we look back on 2023, how did the prior 12 months change the way consumers shop specifically for groceries? Yeah, so price was obviously top of mind for most shoppers throughout the year as inflation was uh, a, a top concern for many shoppers. What we saw is that as we trended behavior month by month throughout the year, the top three behaviors that customers were, were really employing remained pretty consistent. So the top was looking for sales deals and coupons more frequently. The next is cutting back on what customers deem to be non-essential. And what you view as being non-essential is, of course, going to be different from the products that I deem to be non-essential. And then the next is trading down from uh, a higher cost item to a lower cost item. That could be trading even within national brands to something that is a cheaper option, or it could be switching from a national brand to a, a private label brand. We also saw, to your point, that customers were really resilient and creative in how they managed their budget and stretched their dollars. So we also saw that customers employed a variety of behaviors like some buying in bulk and saying, I'm gonna buy in bulk so that I can get a cheaper per unit cost and then take it home and I'm gonna repackage it into individual packs for myself. We also saw that some customers said, hey, I am really focused on eliminating food waste. So I'm making sure that everything that I buy, I have a different meal plan throughout the week to make sure that I am not letting any dollar or product that is in my pantry or in my refrigerator go to waste. We also saw some say, hey, I am supplementing by incorporating into my weekly trip a cheaper meal option so that I am making some, some changes into my routine and what I eat so that I can stretch my dollar throughout the week. So we really saw that there were some, some top three behaviors that were pretty consistent across the year. And then there's also a lot of variety because the constraints that you have as a shopper are going to be different than the constraints that I have. And, and people were really creative in leveraging um, what was movable within their budget to, to really stretch their, their dollars throughout the year. Is there an expectation that those the trends that you just saw and those those habits that evolved over the year, that we will see a continuation, you know, at least maybe through the first part of the year? I mean, obviously, people will react to how things change. But is there an, an anticipation that we'll see a continuation of those habits? Yes. And that's for a few reasons. One is, as I mentioned, we trend this every month throughout the year. And we saw that those top behaviors were really quite consistent. More than 50% of shoppers um, were leveraging those top three behaviors throughout the year. 
we didn't see high spikes at the beginning of the year and it start to trend down. And so there's nothing to me that would indicate that we'd see this quick shift just because we go into a new calendar year. The second is that uncertainty around inflation remains still quite high. Not only is it high, but uncertainty around how long it will last actually increased throughout the year and it increased across all age cohorts. So when you couple the fact that prices are still high, inflation and awareness of inflation and, and pricing is still high, and then there's uncertainty, we would expect to see that at least going into this year until something changes, that pricing and promotion and value um, and financial constraints are going to remain top of mind for shoppers, especially in the grocery space. Is there, of those those habits you discussed, is there one that grocers should be watching more closely? I mean, you touched on things like bulk buying, which I think we, or at least I think of the clubs, but I think more of, of the either the discounters, even the grocers have gotten into bigger packet size. But is there one there that you think, hey, this is the, uh, the one habit that grocers really should be watching uh, as we, you know, roll into 2024? Mm. So I'll answer twofold. You asked about grocers. I'll, I'll say what I think top, top is for grocers and then top is for brands as well. So think about grocers, the top behavior, actually, it'll probably be the same for both and a bit nuanced, is switching. So there is an increased willingness of shoppers to switch brands. This comes through actually in, in two of the top three behaviors. So one, we said is looking for sales deals and coupons more frequently. Inherently in that, you are trying to continue buying the products that you want to buy. You're just looking for a way to get that at a cheaper price. But if you are looking for sales deals and coupons more frequently, you are more influenced by price. So if something goes on uh, sale that may not be the top brand that you normally buy, you're more influenced to actually try and trade to that brand for this one trip. The, the third top behavior is, of course, switching to other brands. That is really important for both brands and retailers to be thinking about. From a retailer perspective, that also means customers are more willing to trade between retailers too because they are just looking for the top price. So you are hyper-focused on ensuring that you win every single trip from that shopper. From a brand perspective, it means that brand loyalty really cannot be taken for granted in the way that it historically had been in, in times of more stability. So even though a customer may love your brand, there are very real financial constraints that may force them to have to choose to buy something else. And when you think about the long-term impacts of that, what you are focused on is saying, how do I prevent that from becoming a new habit? So if I lose a shopper for one trip or from one, uh, one item in, the, in a basket, I want, to, I want that to be it. How do I make sure that I remain top of mind to the shoppers so that the next time they shop, they come back to me and I don't lose them for good? So it, it, will be, um, it increases the competitiveness, both for brands and retailers in this space, and it increases the, the demand to focus on customers and delivering value to them so that you truly can earn their long-term loyalty. So value and, and value was talked about a lot um, more so than pricing. I think there was a, uh, 
try to get the consumer to think a little differently in 2023. So when we talk about value, ultimately we're talking about pricing. Um, oh, is there a thought that we'll see more promotional efforts this year from, from retailers um, to keep those people, you know, from migrating someplace else and, and have retailers keep those people in stores? Yes. I'll also first uh, address your, your comment around value and pricing because prices is, is very important, but it is not the only definition of value. We've actually seen the definition of value to expand a good bit. So even as we talk about bulk items, you're paying more for that large, uh, larger count box of whatever it is that you're buying, but you're doing it because you get a lower unit per price. So what we've actually seen is People may be thinking, I'm going, I'm willing to, and I have the ability to spend more today because it's going to save me in the long run. And then on the flip, there are also customers who say, I actually have a fixed budget this week, so I can't buy more today to save for later. So the price and value equation is not always a one-to-one correlation. We've also seen that one of the top reasons why uh, customers who aren't willing to trade brands is because they say, the quality isn't there. So value and quality are still also intrinsically tied where someone may be willing to spend more on a price uh, for an item because they believe the quality warrants it. I'll get back now to your question on uh, promotions. Uh, I do anticipate that this year promotions will be a top lever that is um, used by both retailers and brands. The key or the trick is going to be doing that in a really smart way. Because everyone, brands and and retailers and customers, all have fixed budgets of the amount of money that you can invest. And so the the ones that win this year will be the brands and retailers that leverage data and science to make sure that you are optimizing a promotion strategy. And for brands to really lean into personalization and say, how can I ensure that I'm delivering the right offers and value to the customers that matter most to me. So you're spending your dollars with the customers who you want to earn long-term loyalty with or the customers who have been loyal to to you. And so it is a reward back to them so that every dollar that you spend is driving the most return back to you. That's interesting. And and you touched on this a little bit earlier, but in terms of where people are shopping um, for their groceries, um, was there a no- noticeable shift away from the traditional supermarkets where they're going maybe to the mass merchants or they're going to the dollar stores? You know, what what were we seeing last year in terms of how consumers are trying to manage their budgets and ultimately where they were buying their products? Yeah. So one of the, the macro shifts that we continue to see last year was uh, food away from home and buying groceries at, uh, to consume at home. We still continue to see a a trend towards um, customers buying products from grocery stores versus eating out or ordering takeout from restaurants because even just comparing restaurants and takeout to cooking it yourself at home, um, that was a a way that customers could be more fiscally responsible within their own budget. Within the grocery landscape, we did also see shifts throughout the year where um, customers may have been shifting from specialty retailers into more traditional grocers. And then we also, of course, saw customers on the the lower end shifting to um, value retailers. So there is sort of this this macro shift across that puts um, risks and opportunities for all the retailers across that spectrum to make sure you're capitalizing on 
new customers who may not have shopped with you before to win the next trip. And then also make sure you aren't losing customers to your competitive set um, because they may be going for a, a cheaper option. 8451 put out a, a recent report and there were some real interesting figures related to private label. Um, I'm going to highlight two and then jump into my question. Um, the first one that caught me was 8% of those who, who surveyed said they preferred national brands, while 31% said they preferred store brands. And I found that sort of split just remarkable. Um, and then the other one was 29% they said they prefer national brands but are open to trying a store brand, while only 16% they said they preferred the store brands but are open to national brands. Um, it seems like these figures are telling us um, that well, let me ask you this way. Are the figures that in the, in the survey, are they based on strictly economics or are there other factors at play now when consumers are looking at private label products? Yeah, so one of, as you think about the, the middle of that too, one of the interesting sets is that in the middle, there's 17% of shoppers that say they don't have a preference at all. So I think that's about one in six shoppers that say, I don't actually have a preference between national or private label brands. When I think about the ends, what we see is that overall, if you have a preference to private label brands, there's a smaller percent within that that can be skewed to also buy national. Or there's a higher percent there that, sorry, lower percent there that will skew towards national brands. Whereas if you have a preference towards national brands, you're more willing to, or open to trying a private label brand. In this economic environment, that makes sense because it is harder to trade someone up than it is to trade someone down. So when you look at the customers that have said, I already have a preference to private label brands, they're, they're more set in, in that, that space. There is much more risk at that high end for customers who say, I prefer national brands. Um, but if, if I am pinched or if there's an offer that's available to me or a, a promotion that's going on at the time, I'm more willing to, to try. I do think that that is more prevalent in this, this economic environment. What we will all learn together is as you sort of move out of inflationary period, does that stay? Because the, the perception will, will shift from the customer standpoint after they tried private label brands to say, either the quality meets their needs and they say, you know what? I actually didn't feel like I compromised on on anything to trade and so i'm going to stay or they say this was a short-term um, behavior that i had to employ because i m my constraints forced me to and i'm going to go back that's what's um, yet to be seen uh, and will be really important for both the national brands and private label brands to watch so that one can capitalize and the other can mitigate risk yeah, it's fascinating. And, and, and I think that's the most interesting thing over whether it's a year or two or however long that process takes place. Um, I know people just in my family who were as anti-store brands as you could be, who all of a sudden tried things and were like, you know, sort of a blind taste test. Like we buy a lot of private label stuff. And this was before I was at store brands. Um, I just hate getting ripped off. That's just me. Um, but we would buy, whether it's snack food or whatever, and if people say, wow, these are really good chips, where did you get them? And we'd get them at, at Aldi or Lidl or somebody like that. And it would open people's eyes. So it's interesting now to see, um, hey, I can get a really good product for 20, 30% less. Why am I going to spend more to get 
the same, or maybe the quality is even better with the private label. So it's going to be a fascinating um, watch to see how this evolves, you know, depending on what prices go. So yeah, I, I agree with you on that. Um, kind of following up on the uh, on the survey, consumers picked three categories: um, frozen, excuse me, frozen shelf stable and OTC healthcare. As categories, they said they would be willing to switch to private brands. Um, were there reasons why cat, uh, the consumers pick these specific categories? So overall, when we ask customers why they're willing to switch, the, the top reasons come back to quality. They say, I actually don't think that I'm, I'm risking a, a lower quality in doing so. One of the others is that in these categories, they feel like private label has an appropriate selection, um, both in the product variety flavor and, and size to be able to compete. Beyond that, when you also think about these top categories, they're ones that have less emotional involvement uh, in, in the, the shopper's purchase. So it's sort of like the low, low involvement category. So there's lower risk in trying something new within these categories than, than some other categories that have much higher involvement and higher sort of emotional attachment. As we roll into 2024, um, and obviously private label is growing, but is there more that retailers can do to entice consumers to try their private label products? Yes. And I would actually think about this a little bit different from thinking about the retailer doing this to thinking about the the brand teams within uh, private label ecosystem. Because part of this is if we move into a landscape where customers are viewing all the products on shelf and saying, one is, I'm, I'm viewing a private label brand almost just as another brand on the shelf, then retailers also need to start marketing and managing those private label brands as a brand. So I'll think about the, the brand teams within private label brands. The biggest thing to drive is trial, because as we talked about, it is um, once you get someone to try your product, you can then shift the perception around it. There are certainly categories where we find that this is harder to do than others. So you, you mentioned the top categories where customers say, I'm more willing to try. They are less willing to try in categories like pet and beauty and um, baby is, is another one that pops up. These are categories where there is high emotional attachment, but also in categories like drinks and beverages. These are all categories where brands have built up over decades strong loyalty and brand loyalty. So it is, it, it will be hard in categories like this to get someone to trade. Where there is the biggest opportunity to drive customers to try new products is through in-store display um, and in ads and, and coupons and offers. This is true, both in just switching brands and then also when we think about driving innovation and trial period. So when we ask customers, what, what really motivates you to discover a new item to try um, and to discover innovation, those are the top areas where they're, they're exposed um, and influenced to try new items. So those are the, the top three sort of places to focus on. And the other is just really ensuring that you are communicating the right message with shoppers. So before you can drive trial by giving someone a free item, and in, in some cases, do sampling in stores to just get your product in someone's mouth if it's something that's consumable. 
But the other is just really communicating a clear message to customers about the benefits that you provide. And that may be a cheaper price, but it may be something else. If you want to stand for value aside from just comparing to a national brand, communicate what it is that delivers value to customers and leverage um, digital media and communication and messaging in the same way you would think about if you were managing a national brand to reach new customers and stay top of mind uh, with them as they're planning their next trip or driving impulse as they're shopping the physical store and, and working through their shop. You touched on a couple of categories where consumers said they would not switch to private brand. Mm -hmm. um, beauty was clearly the top one and it was a, it was a massive number of people who said, no, we're not going to do that. Um, yeah. I'm curious, kind of a two-parter. One, was there a reason or reasons as to why consumers specifically with beauty said, no, we're going to stick with the brands we know? Um, and, you and you kind of referenced some of the long-term uh, yeah. efforts. Yeah. Um, but I'm curious, are there things retailers can do to change the minds of shoppers in categories where they're, you know, where, they're, where their consumer is very kind of loyal or tried and true to the brands they've been using for years? Yeah. So one of the sort of commonalities around categories where we see that there's really low willingness to, to switch and, and beauty being an example is these are categories, not only ones where brands have strong brand loyalty and they've built a, a strong brand presence, but oftentimes they're products that you are either putting into a loved one's body. So think pet and baby is sort of top ones that come up here, or they're things that you physically put on your own on your own body. So they're high risk to try something new, even if you were switching between another national brand um, to uh, a, a competitive national brand. There's just a not only higher emotional attachment, but higher like risk you would think if you pick a product that's going to make you react uh, in, a, in a negative way. So the, the, the top thing for brands or retailers to do and to um, drive trial or switching with this would be to reduce in the mindset of customers the risk of switching. And you do that through really strong communication. Um, and there are a lot of uh, really immersive uh, ways, especially within digital media today, that you can communicate a message like that to customers. It's just a matter of investing in uh, a strong communication media and advertising plan um, to be able to do that because you won't do it just by having a cheaper price. We, we started the conversation, we talked about pricing, we talked about SNAP benefits, we talked about um, the impact of student loans. Um, those are issues that continue this year. Do those issues combine and give retailers more opportunities this year to continue to expand their private label assortments to meet you know, the needs of shoppers who are looking to save money but still want some quality product? Of course. Uh, and when you have an environment where... Uh, price is top of mind for customers and financial constraints continue on. That is an inherent opportunity for private label brands and, and uh, the manufacturers of them to capitalize on um, because that's a, a niche space where you play and where you're a, a cheaper offering in many cases, not always, but in many cases, a cheaper offering. Um, the, the other piece I would then flip it though to, to focus on is, in an environment like this, if competitive landscape is heightened for both private label and national brands, focus on the needs of customers and where you can deliver unique value to them. It isn't always a direct comparison game between the two. If 
instead of focusing on the other competitor there, you're focusing on the customer. So as I would sort of guide people thinking into the new year, top things that you could be doing to innovate and bring more more products to shelf that meet customer needs. Some of the top areas that customers are telling us they're interested in from an innovation standpoint, um, a lot of them center around health. And so how can you add value to customers by helping them to lead a healthier lifestyle? And um, even the definition of health is sort of expanding into sort of a long-term view to say, hey, have a more sustainable, healthy lifestyle. So some of the top behavior, top attributes that customers are looking for, things like functional benefits, clean ingredients, um, and uh, high protein. So thinking about instead of taking things away from the products, what are you, what's in it that is adding value to, to me? Um, and then even things as uh, more specific, like helping with digestive and gut health. So focusing on bringing innovation that drives a, a new take on healthy foods for, for shoppers as we are looking for ways to not only save money, but also help ourselves and, and eat healthier and have more healthier long-term um, lives. Uh, that's a key way that both national brands and private label brands can be focusing on to help deliver for customers. And in the long run, then win more shelf space and more space within a customer's basket or cart. 